Bloody Elbow presents Show Money, the podcast that focuses strictly on the business side of combat sports. Here are your hosts, John S. Nash, Paul Gift, and Jason Cruz. Welcome to Show Money, the only show exclusively dedicated to the business of mixed martial arts. Thanks for giving us some of your time today. I'm Paul Gift, the economist. With me as always, we have Jason Cruz, our lawyer, John Nash, the man who knows everyone and everything in MMA <laughs> and loves it every time I say that. Uh, we're filming this on Sunday, August 28th. We've been off for a while. I had spine surgery. I was having some things going on in my life. Um, but we've got a few things to talk about here. We've kind of lumped them all together, but we're going to talk a little bit about you know, fighter pay issues going on, UFC finance finances, the Dana White GQ comments, uh, maybe Nate Diaz, Luke Rockhold, stuff like that. Um, then get in a little bit to uh, one that just premiered on Amazon. I believe it was this past weekend. I think it was Friday or Saturday. I was at a wedding and I'm forgetting my days. Uh, but um, they premiered there and, and there's speculation. It looks like they're preparing for an IPO. We've kind of known that already, but it was going to be a SPAC, it looked like. And now it looks like they're actually trying to do a traditional IPO. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And give you a quick update on the UFC antitrust lawsuit. Something kind of big happened, even though nothing's happening. Something kind of big happened that may possibly speed things up and possibly make us wait a lot longer. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, but Dana White did an interview with GQ that he said was, you know, all in good fun. I guess it was people ask him questions from random social media platforms. He didn't know what Quora was, stuff like that. And he would answer questions. And one of them was about fighter pay, uh, to which the basic gist was, you know, what's the deal with fighter pay? I want, I want more money. Everybody wants more money. To which he replied, boxing has absolutely been destroyed because of money and all the things that go on. It's never going to happen while I'm here. Believe me, these guys get paid what they're supposed to get paid. They eat what they kill. They get a percentage of the pay-per-view buys, and the money is spread out amongst all the fighters. All right, Jason, so what? <laughs> we all heard that. We all saw the social media clips. What was the first thing that popped into your head that you started thinking of when you saw that interview with Dana White? Well, I, I think that a couple things uh, probably popped up. One was that, uh, first of all, why is he... Why, why did they pick that particular question for him to answer on a... Fun, quote unquote, fun GQ uh, little promo, which was actually supposed to be for the upcoming pay per view. You know, they do these little little hits uh, to promote the pay per view that's upcoming, and during the week, that's what what they got. And Dana White, I don't know if he was being funny. I don't know if he was being honest. I don't know if he didn't uh, realize the ramifications and whether or not that MMA media was going to follow up, but. It definitely was not shocking, but kind of uh, uh, eye raising that he would he would come out and just uh, maintain the the line as far as uh, fighters getting paid what they are. I don't know if it was specifically just a hit on boxing in general, but that that uh, I guess missed the mark. I think the one thing that he really was upset with is the follow up article by Mar uh, ESPN's uh, Mark Monday in which uh, Rob Macy is actually um, uh, quoted there and uh, totally um, kind of brought back. I, maybe it, it brought, it's the reason why uh, Dana White 
and the UFC uploaded the Dana White versus the MMA media a YouTube uh, sensation that he had posted where he had battled COVID, defeated COVID, and uh, also defeated the MMA media that that um, uh, was uh, was um, poo pooing on his idea of having these uh, these matches during COVID. But going back to the issue of fighter pay, obviously we know we know the that fighters aren't getting paid as much as the revenues that the UFC is making. This is not a mom and pop shop uh, as we will get into. The UFC is making tons of dollars, tons of sponsorships, tons of ways they're making more money and finding ways uh, and me- mechanisms to generate more revenue. Uh, it seemed like it was uh, really off the cuff genuine remark by White that he should have probably thought through, and at least the producers of the GQ uh, article should have thought thought through. Yes, but did he not think through it? Because what's suspicious is, one, that was a recorded interview, an edited recorded interview, so they had time to prep. I'm not certain those questions came out of the blue because the question itself, as Chad Dundas pointed out, the person asking that question was an account created when they submitted that one question and had no followers and followed no one. And so this rant, I mean, it's amazing that they were able to find this question that was, that was tagged to no one, did not, was not a reply to anybody, was just out in the middle of the ether with, uh, with no followers, no way. I mean, I don't. I'm amazed. They really scoured the internet, the the Twitter world, to find that one comment by Danny five seven eight two nine six or whatever the number is. But so that that so that makes me question: Was he caught off guard? I think you know. It's it seems like this was fed to him, and and he blew it. And and his reaction is possibly two things one is it got a lot bigger response because it did come across terrible it did it just it sounded like a terrible response because it's easy to understand why people would assume you're saying fighters will not get paid more now he claims he wasn't talking about fighters he's talking about boxing the same thing won't happen to mma that happened to boxing fair enough but you didn't have to add the little thing these guys get paid what they're supposed to get paid well who determines that i mean is is this the is the market theory of wage determination been replaced by the Dana White theory of wage determination? Is that what we got now? I mean, so that seems that right there would offend people. And then on top of it, what possibly really set them off too was not just that it got a lot of attention, that they actually quoted someone that is a thorn in their side who's attempting to do stuff that would actually make things worse for their profit margins. And that's, you know, that's Rob Macy, who's the guy that came up the original version of the antitrust suit. He's the guy that presented it to the attorneys, to the other attorneys to get the lawsuit. He's the guy who's been lobbying for the Ali Act. So I wonder, because that's the last thing, he doesn't want attention and he doesn't want to be linked, The those two things getting linked together. Because right now, Macy is not a major player as much as he's been around. He's not someone that gets a lot of attention for this. So he, I, I imagine he's upset that no, we don't want the media going to him and bringing more attention to these subjects. So that's a guess, but that's my guess. Macy right now is most famous for not being able to handle tequila at all. That's what he's most famous for. But Jason had no idea what we're talking about. John's laughing; he was there. Well, no. Jason couldn't handle his so whatever the hell he was drinking either. So he was, yeah. It he was <laughs> I, like, I oh, I, I got a lot of common of this did. guy. Triple Hennessy. I oh, think so, I did. My you, goodness. Oh anyway. yeah. Well, I guess I didn't handle whatever the hell I was on because I can't even remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I, I, I am seriously confused these days. Why, like, like, you know, these questions come up, and you guys brought up good points, right? Was, was it? How, how did they even find this strange account, right? But you know, these questions are coming up. How do you not just have your, you know, cookie cutter statement prepared? That I mean, they, they say in, in um, uh, uh, earnings calls, they sort of say the same things over and over again. But, but you don't need to accentuate anything, exaggerate it. You don't need to get in all this boxing comparison. Just if you're going to do that question, just say your cookie cutter statement and move on. Uh, I don't I don't know why they even, and if it's a pre-recorded interview, why was that question even in there? But when you read it, it seems pretty clear to me, he is talking about that it's never going to happen, is comparing, you know, the boxification of MMA. But but yeah, the Raimondi headline kind of made it seem like it was, it's never going to happen. <laughs> well, to, to be fair to Raimondi, a lot of times the writer, and this is me often, I, the stuff I write, I don't come up with the headline. The, the yeah. headline is created by an editor because they're yeah. trying to draw traffic. The, 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 the text inside, I take responsibility for the headline. Give me, yeah. you know, often I have nothing to do with that. That's a good, that's a good point. And, and what I was segueing into though is, is the UFC is doing, right? extremely well um we'll kind of move into finances here a little bit john is what i'm jealous that you found it and i didn't find it john but john is the one who found this uh this this analyst report uh that has ufc revenues uh a little bit over a billion dollars um and other things that i've seen is that man when you look at how uh these investment banks and analysts are valuing the ufc own sports properties of Endeavor. They're doing like 16x multiple. One did a 16x multiple. The other did a 20x multiple of, of 2023 EBITDA, which is estimated to be anywhere between like 600 and 700 million. Those are numbers that put you over $10 billion. Endeavor as a whole company is just barely over 10 billion right now, but this is for 2023 in the future. So the UFC is doing really well. You've got your antitrust lawsuit going on that the UFC feels they have a strong position in. You just don't need to, you know, and I'm usually the voice of the promoter of you, right? You just don't need to walk yourself into something like that. It's sort of mind-blowing to me why they keep walking themselves, not they, he keeps yeah. walking himself into things like this. No, no, his job, though, I think is an attention. He's the... He's an attention magnet. That's his job for the UFC. His yeah. job was not, I mean, Lorenzo kind of ran the company, but he, even more when Lorenzo, the Pertinas were there, he was a major figure, but now he's become a much bigger personality figure with the UFC. Much more attention has been put, but that leads to mistakes because Dana White has always been an off the cuff, kind of like I say it, like, you know, however I want to say it. And that stuff like that blows back for the UFC outside the antitrust going really bad for them. I don't think they're they're worried like oh things are going to fall apart we're going to get overtaken by a competitor but you I do think they're that very worried about fighter pay because even a slight uptick takes away money and the UFC you look at it the valuation of Endeavor is a hundred percent dependent technically not a hundred percent but let's say ninety percent dependent <laughs> as you just pointed out their valuation is ninety percent the UFC a slight increase in fighter pay. Cuts down in the amount of money, especially now when, when interest rates are going to be going up and they have a lot of debt, it cuts down in the amount of money available to the promotion. So anything that puts any pressure, because even though fighters are really underpaid, any sort of increased pressure on that is something they don't want to see. 
Yeah, and which is why, by the way, I wish I uh, we'll we'll see a couple of years out how that me wanting to buy it at nineteen but not doing it because uh, I write about them. Uh, we'll see how that how that plays out. <laughs> You idiot. Me and Jason put 10 grand each in it. We're going to make a, no. Just what are you talking about? I put it all in NFTs and Bitcoins. So. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. That's right. The Bitcoin man right here. The NFT get master. How's your NFT doing? Doing great. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to it, though. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, but for both of you guys, do you think the reaction was based on him just being upset that it kind of blew up and made attention? Or do you think there's anything to the idea that, like, both me and Jason, that, that, because Ramondi talked to Rob Macy that there's some that that might have made him even more upset. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's went the latter. I think it, it was the amplification on ESPN and as as well as uh, pulling uh, 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 an opposing uh, viewpoint of his uh, quote. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where he knows he's going to get um, you know he's he's going to get. Uh, uh, some backlash and perhaps some, um, uh, I mean, he, he's going to get some publicity for what, what he says, um, but uh, he did not anticipate probably um, his partner, the ESPN, uh, putting up an article that doesn't look uh, as good as it should for, for the company. So uh, I, I, I think it was the, I think it was the latter, and obviously he expressed that his anger at the MMA media, uh, the media, or whoever. The, the, the media. It's always the media. The media. You know what would be interesting because remember he said you you got to call and get a quote, even though he's a public official making a public statement. To you know, the next time he makes a statement, no one should run it and say we got to get we got to get a quote first from you to confirm the <laughs> statement that you made at the press conference. Because yeah. are, are, is you know is are we really going to get uh, Oliveira versus uh, whoever you know we we can't run it yet because we haven't confirmed we haven't called you because yeah, according yeah, to you yeah. it's we need an actual statement from you to run some but oh, uh, and, but, and then well then, sorry I'm interrupting really quick then you're running into the uh, game theory coordination problem but I just wanted before you moved on to something else John I wanted to answer that too because I, I have a different thing I don't think I don't think he cared about the Macy thing to me. Uh, like, like they're used to the antitrust case. I, I, I believe that they believe that the antitrust case is a thorn in their side, but they're not that worried about it yet. Uh, um, so, and, and I don't, I honestly don't think Dana White cares about Rob Maisie at all, whether he's quoted in there. My, my take on it was that I, I think what he cared about was the whole, uh, um, feeling that you got when you especially when you read the headline that it's sort of fire fighter pay going up it's never going to happen when it was really sort of talking about boxing that was my take i don't yeah, think he cares uh, about Maisie being in that i say i, I kind of i i'm a, i kind of disagree in the sense that i don't think he cares in the sense that, like the antitrust lawsuit i don't think he likes the idea that the press going out and getting macy quotes on articles all the time they don't want a guy that's because they they don't mind. I think the UFC. Oh, Dana White called the UFC scumbuckets. Then we run stories about how Dana, you know, those back and forth silly. What they don't want is going to and kind of reminding people like here's someone that holds an, an in depth opinion about it, uh, and and offers possible solutions that we don't want even to venture the idea of moving on, even though as impossible as as unlikely as they are, we don't want to raise those. We don't mind Luke Rockle just complaining that he didn't get paid. It's we don't want people to start formulating actual solutions that 
that counter what we want. Now that goes, that was my question before I was so rudely interrupt <laughs> there. Uh, but what do you think bugged them more this week? What was worse for the UFC? That, that, that headline story fighters, you know, where pays never get raised or Luke Rockhold's comments and all the attention he got for the week at fight week. Oh my God. To me is Luke Rockhold. Really? I I'm thinking if you agree or not, Jason. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, I I think that it was it was it was Rockhold to a certain extent, just because he had the ability up there, and he, Luke was. I mean, Luke was uh, going crazy in that great great little homeless sweater that he was rocking. I mean, that that must have been a ten thousand dollars sweater. But uh, about but besides that, I think that you know Luke knew he was going. He's going. He his days were numbered. That he he had less. He he wasn't going to be staying in the UFC for for long, so he uh, wanted to get some things off his chest. How he was talking about health care, I was talking about bonuses and pay and things like that. How he went after uh, whatever that uh, podcast was uh, for kind of you know the subtle little uh, uh, take on um, um, Tito Rivera's uh, Tito Rivera's uh, ethnicity and things like that. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think those things, uh, really were, um, uh, you know, teed up, uh, for fight week and uh, a little bit. I mean, you know, obviously the problem is with these press conferences, you get a lot and you, you do the, you read comments and things like that on Twitter and you, you get both sides. You get the, you know, Luke's speaking the truth or, Oh, the guy sucks. He hasn't fought in three years. He's, he's just bitter. That kind of, those kind of comments. So um, I could see from one perspective that Luke just amplifying a lot of the fighter, fighter, uh, grump, uh, fighter concerns would be a bad press. And I don't think they, they actually, uh, I'm not sure if they, I haven't checked the UFC uh, website, but I don't know if they have his interview up from the press conference, pre-fight press conference. But uh, I, I don't know if that was worse than Dana White's uh, fighter pay comments on GQ. I, I thought that if he lost and, and, and didn't uh, and didn't retire, that it was comments would get him cut, basically. Right. Uh, but but what, did you, what did you think was worse, John? I, I... I thought in some ways Luke got a little more attention from the regular, the, the, the typical MMA fan, the UFC fan. Cause it, you know, they, they often ignore those other stories. They're just, they just tune in for fight week. But I, I think there was one part about the GQ story that kind of took off as he was talking about boxing. And I always think it's kind of a bad idea to do the comparison. You know, it's like, oh, boxing's d- damaged. Bo- it works when boxing's actually having problems, but it doesn't work when boxing's doing good. And the first few months of this year, the first half was nothing but great cards. And the fall looks like it's going to line up with a bunch of great fights. And what makes it look bad is every week you're getting a report you're going to get about boxers making a ton of money. And so I, I never think it's, it's, it doesn't hurt when you say that, oh, boxing screwed up when people are like frustrated with the state of boxing. But when boxing's actually presenting quality cards and guys like Usyk, uh, Alexander Usyk, who's not a draw, is going to make more than any MMA fighter in history has ever made. Probably twice. He, he just made like 30, 40 million in his last fight. He's going to make, you know, another 60 million in his next one if he fights very for the, he'll have a hundred million dollar year. Usyk of all people hats off. I mean, it's a it's way that's great. The heavyweight champion should make the most money, but it's not like we're talking, you know, of a massive pay per view draw. 
this guy is not a this guy's not Connor McGregor. He's not even close to Manny Pacquiao or Mayweather or any of those guys. He's just a quality fighter, but he gets to keep a lot of the money. And I don't I, I never think it's smart to bring up that because it's just it's the a lot of MMA fighters don't care. You you see a lot of the young guys, either they're afraid to speak, because if you've seen the um the Sean O'Malley interview with uh he does a little conversation with uh Ariel Hawani talking about uh 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 fighter pay. And for a guy that was really outspoken, you can tell he's pretty nervous about getting into the subject, two details, right? But then you got guys like uh, Patty Pimblett. They seem very happy with what. Oh yeah, this is just great. This is the way it's supposed to be. Molly uh, Meatball Molly. Uh, oh god, I'm, uh, what's her last name? McCann. McCann. Not McCann. She's not going to be around much. I don't have to worry about her. She's going to lose quick. So, uh, <laughs> but those guys are like. So you have this. A lot of young fighters are. They are just happy to be in the UFC. They're just you know. So you're going to have them. But you don't want the stars, the guys that are like guys that are in Ngannou's situation. I think the worst thing happened to UFC if Ngannou leaves and makes a bunch of money doing something. It's gonna a lot of people are gonna be like, "Well, I could, you know, how how many how far along am I in my contract? Is it worth waiting out?" I mean, we've gone back to this right over and over and over again. The stars are the one. If anyone has a gripe, that should have a gripe. The the newbies kind of should be not. I don't want to say should be happy with what they get, but relative I, to I, other other. Promotions and other promotions they they were at and could go to. Yeah, right? no, but people get a little upset at me sometimes, and I'll talk to uh, when I'm on at the Crooklyn's Corner and stuff. I'll bring this up, and I agree with Hawani. I don't feel bad about a, a new guy getting in the UFC and getting ten and ten, twelve and twelve. If a guy comes in at two and zero oh off some regional and they just put him in the UFC because they needed a body, it's like, well, am I really worked up over that guy? What I'm worked up over, which is really unfair is the top guys, but also the guys that have established themselves as really good fighters and cannot leverage their position as a really good fighter to get more. You know, the that's Usyk's a great example. The best case thing that can happen. He's not a draw, but he can leverage the fact that he's the best heavyweight in the world and say, you have to pay me as much as the other stars. Otherwise, you do not get a, sh- a shot at this belt. I think, uh, going back a little bit to the point of, of Pimlet and Molly McCann, I think what um, younger fighters who are content with the pay in the UFC is is that they're intoxicated by everything else that comes with with being in the UFC. The thousands of fans, everyone chanting, everyone singing along with them, everyone excited to see them and wanting their autograph. I think that part takes is a portion of what uh, a portion of the benefit of being in the UFC uh, and. Perhaps um, a little more than, and maybe the their ten and ten uh, pay is ancillary to what what the UFC is offering them because they, they get so much more attention at that point. When you're farther along in your uh, career in MMA, you realize that it's a short career and you're not going to be uh, you're not going to be there for long, or your your window of opportunity to earn a maximum amount of money is is shorter than your actual full career. 
right? So like, once you start losing, you're not, you're going to move yourself down the ladder. And I mean, there's tons of names you see on UFC cards each week where you remember, I remember that guy had headlined a fight night and here he is on the early, early prelims. You know, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. If you start to lose, you fall down the card unless you're uh, some sort of different, you have some sort of different pull like a Conor McGregor or, 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 or Sean O'Malley or somebody like that. But for the most part, um, if you're young, um, that's what the UFC loves. They love the uh, the young, scrappy people. Uh, that's why Dana White's Contender Series is is a cult, a cult favorite because they like people fighting to the death for five thousand five thousand bucks. But Anthony uh, Pettis, not to interrupt, but Anthony Pettis brought up that whole. Remember, he was saying in the interview yeah. that it's all about people are addicted to the fame. It's you know, it's weird. It's a psychological wage. You know, W. D. Void brought that up about you know wages of whiteness in the South. But it, it, but now people apply it to. It's the idea that being in the UFC, the fame and the glamour and the prestige that goes with it is worth a pay raise compared to another promotion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, think about like, you know, Molly McCann or, you know, she she in her last interview, she, she was talking about how, you know, she, she might not be able to read or write, but she can make fans sing along. I mean, that, you know, that's pretty intoxicating that Patty, Patty Pimlet has the whole crowd uh, at the O2 arena uh, singing and chanting his name. I mean, that has to be a part. I mean, that's something that they don't want, want to want to leave them. And when it comes to negotiation for another contract, you know, those are the things that they'll bring up. You know, if you, if you ask for too much money, you'll be down, down the car, you know, or we won't offer you that amount of money. You'll go somewhere else. That kind of thing. There, there is something to be said for, if you are able to get fame from the UFC, what else can that do for you? That's not, and I want to just tell people that that has absolutely nothing to do with the antitrust case, whether the UFC is acting anti-competitively or not. You don't see that stuff in there. But to say like, okay, if I went to the PFL, maybe I could win a million dollars plus whatever they're going to pay me along the way. But would I would I get sort of a Patty Pimblet type of status and whatever else, however else I might be able to monetize that? I don't know exactly how they're monetizing it, but how or how he might do it in the future. But there there is something to be said for that. Again, it has nothing to do with uh, UFC possible monopolistic behavior. But any rational fighter uh, <laughs> or their manager should be considering that, right? Which is what are all the ways I can monetize this person's career? That, that to me, that's just, that's just smart business. Thinking of those possibilities, you don't want to ignore them. Um, but, but that does, that's distinct from all these pay issues that we've been talking about, but I'm kind of going to lead into the Nate Diaz element here, right? Where I kind of break from you guys. I know you guys, especially John talks about not being able to go and get other fights or competition for your services. And to me, it's like, okay, if you sign up, five fight exclusive contract you've signed that five fight exclusive contract now is the collection of those anti-competitive we'll see right but if it's not then you find sign that five fight exclusive contract and yeah you can't go somewhere else while you're under contract that's the essence of signing it they promote you you fight you fight out your contract or until it expires but then we've got the the nate diaz fight coming up right and he's on it about to go into his last fight I don't know if we still, right, there's all these stories back and forth about was he put on the shelf, were they offering him fights, and he was turning them down, 
right? Why he had to wait, what, almost a year? Well, since he wanted to fight, almost a year to actually get one. Um, uh, Where are you on that, John, right? We've got Nate Diaz. He finally got his fight. He's finally going to be free, probably, unless the UFC tries to match. Well, unless the fight doesn't have, if 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 they have to cancel it and postpone it because Jemayev's hurt or something happens, his visa and he can't come, they can postpone it. And he has he's still under contract, act of God or whatever. They have the contractual. If something happens the the fight, they can move it later, and he'll be still under contract. We should be reminded he signed. This is a two year contract by fight, two year contract that he signed. And started back in 2016. And now it's going to be six years, three months later after he's, the contract started, that he's still under that same contract and it possibly could be postponed again. So that to me, that's a really long contract. Now you could say, well, he turned on fights and stuff. Well, yeah, he probably did, but there's when people forget when the UFC contract, they can, if you miss a fight, they can accrue those, the duration and get another six month extension and they can just, they can make the wait much longer. And also on top of that, apparently, you know, uh, during that wait, I mean, a lot of the stuff they did is like you, you offered Chemayev and then extended six months. Well, at the end of that six months, were they going to offer him Chemayev again and say, and even was, it wasn't even six months. He actually, because that six month edition, apparently it was longer. They could go longer than that. You know, it's just, there's, it just, it's it's not like a lot of boxing contracts will say you have to offer two fights. You have to make every attempt to make the fight, something like that. The UFC, we just have to offer you the fight, and if you can't do it because you have a wedding or you're still injured or whatever, we can then extend your contract. And so I think that's that seems pretty one-sided to me. I agree. I, I mean, I I think that, um, you know, not knowing Nate Diaz's situation related to the con- contracts, I mean – it would seem as though um he, he, he the uh, the extension w- is is too long but i mean of course we don't we don't know we don't know about the contract we don't know about what what he turned down or, or not turned down i mean we do have the Ariel Hawani uh Nate Diaz chat uh, the special chat where he kind of goes outlines you know wh- what happened um Ariel Hawani does a good job of at least kind of identifying what, what was going on and a timeline but you know was it something where the UFC was just holding him and not just saying oh, well, well we're thinking of something for him we're thinking of something for him because you know he he, he definitely is, uh, portrayed himself as someone to be held up by the part by by the terms of the contract and um, whether or not he wanted he, he turned down Jamaya before and now he has he's just saying fuck it fuck it I'll just do it you know we'll see how this how this turns out because what will be interesting about the September 10th fight is like what kind of meat Diaz are we going to get are we going to get a guy that wants to <laughs> fight or we're going to get a guy that um, you know, that was kind of at uh, the uh, RDA uh, Nate Diaz fight where uh, Nate Diaz came in grossly overweight and didn't really do too much against uh, Rafael Dos Anjos uh, way back when. I mean, are we going to get a guy that just like he's he's not going to be if like not going to feel like he wants to fight or is he going to want to come send, send himself out for the fans? Yeah, I mean, the hard, the hard part, I know this is not this is getting away from the business focus of our podcast the hard part for him though man is it's so dangerous to do that right because you you know he's not going to quit uh and, and if he comes in like 
uh, underprepared or not in good shape, man, he could take so much damage and do such long-term uh, 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 damage to his life and, well, the rest of his career. Yeah. But I sure well, hope he it, comes in. He's trying to get out of the fight quick to get a Jake Paul fight before Jake Paul loses and ruins his thing. Yeah. I mean, the worst <laughs> is Chemayev just kicks the crap out of him. He's out for a year. Right. And there goes the, and then also the, maybe the prestige, the interest, the fight wanes. If everybody's last impression of, uh, Nate Diaz, I'm just getting the crap kicked out of him so bad that he's out for an extended period of time. I don't know what that does for his future prospects, but, uh, I mean, my understanding is though, after we rejected Chimayev, uh, Diaz and them verbally agreed and uh, sent them several fighters. They'd like to, you know, them and Dustin Poirier wanted to fight, but the UFC, when offering an agreement for other fighters besides Chimayev, they had a contract attached to that agreement. In other words, you fought, you signed to fight right. this thing. We have a contract, an additional like three, four, five fight contract that you have to sign to get a Dustin, a non Chamaya fight. And, uh, I don't know. That just doesn't, that, 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 that seems again, seem like, that would seem like bad business practices, to be honest with you. Because I, yeah, I, I think I remember that. I think that was in the Hawani interview where they, they gave him, you know, some, you know, Poirier. Uh, I think Vincente Luque was a was a name he, he that that was bandied about, but it, it was it was a um, not a sign a sign we fight you fight Dustin Poirier to fight out your contract. It was we'll give you Dustin Poirier if you sign the extension. So I mean, you know, whether or not that's particularly legal i i'm i'm not going to delve into that but um it would seem as though if you are nate diaz's counsel you would think that no we want the we want a fight before thinking about uh an extension or having to sign an extension right and so let's move into um let's move into the fight goes down it's in what a little less than two weeks from today Fight goes down. He's done. He, you know, he highly likely loses. He hopefully doesn't get utterly demolished. <laughs> for, he's yeah. completely yeah. messed up for six months or a year or, or even worse. But um, uh, but now it's time to negotiate a new deal. Let's assume he wants to go into boxing. Do you see any way? I'll go to you, lawyer, Jason. Do you see any way if it's a boxing deal? that the UFC could possibly even match it? Would they even have a chance to claim to match? Or is he out free and clear? Oh, man. We're going to go back into this Eddie Alvarez uh, <laughs> lawsuit. Um, I, I, You know, um, it, it would. I would think that at this point, the both sides will mutually agree not to, not to match. I don't think that... Um, they would be able, the UFC would match a boxing a fight with Jake Paul for several reasons. Well, and also, let me interrupt you really quick. That also pertains to uh, Francis Ngannou, right? Who might go to boxing. So Right. I think, well, yeah, correct. But like, let me, but for, well, Ngannou is a little different because he's already fought out his fight, his contract, I think. Right, correct? No, he yeah, has, but no, but they'll still have a right that the way that's written, it seems like you know, that right to match will still last even a year after the sunset. Because yeah, he, he has a champion extension that goes through like January of 2023. Yeah. And he's but, still injured. 
Yeah, uh, right. The match is in a different section of the contract, so it doesn't yeah. apply to the that uh, the, the whole thing. You know, that we had Kurt Emhoff on here. We, we need him back to go over yeah. that again. So. And I was uh, and I was wrong. It's his five year sunset is January twenty twenty. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, but, but going back to Jake Paul, the reason why uh, he probably wouldn't match Jake Paul is because Jake Paul would make a, a big deal out of it. <laughs> as far as how much money Nate will be getting, that kind of thing, I think that would be he would be more exploitive of the situation. Um, so I don't, I don't think that he would do. He would match a Jake Paul fight. Also, probably Nate would be getting paid a lot more, a lot, lot more than what the UFC would be willing to offer. I mean, if the you know, say just. Just thinking of a number, and I don't, you know, I'm not like ten million dollars for for one fight. You know, if the UFC would would have offered uh, Nate Diaz ten million a fight, I don't think Nate Diaz would leave. I, you know, but obviously he's not getting that amount of money. So if he were to sign a Jake Paul fight and get ten million dollars, I it's highly unlikely. Ten million dollars guaranteed. Not not thinking of anything. Ten million dollars guaranteed. It's highly unlikely that the UFC would would pay that amount to match. Yeah, I, I plus if I'm if I'm Diaz and his team, I sign a one fight contract against Jake Paul, and it's going to be like uh, let's say like Canelo versus Triple G, but not nearly as lucrative. But still, he said we get forty five percent of the revenue. You know, Jake Paul seemed to get 55%. We get UFC is going to look at like, we are not going to put you against Conor McGregor and give you 45%. (laughs) So that would be the end of that. They would never match that. Yeah. Yeah. It's highly unlikely. That's that's one of the reasons why Nate Diaz. And then on top of it, when Conor McGregor finds out that Nate Diaz is getting 45% and he's on the contract he's on, what do you think is going to happen at that point? Right. So I I think we all know that they're highly unlikely to match boxing terms, right? But I I was just curious on what he thought the legal position would be if they even wanted to, in some weird world, would it even be possible to say, hey, oh, you signed this boxing contract? We're going to match it. You're coming back to our MMA promotion. Uh, I don't know if what you would define combat sports as. I don't know if it's, uh, what their contract is defined as combat sports, but, um, you know, the, it, it, assuming that they could match a combat sports sport like, uh, like MMA. I mean, like, like, I'm sorry, like boxing or full contact for I don't know. Like, you know, um, you know, uh, they, the UFC would have a possibility that they could they could match, but you know, it's highly unlikely that they would do something like that to retain his services. All right, guys, we've gone all around Dana White, GQ comments, Nate Diaz, Luke Rockhold, a little bit of finances. I'm trying to look up the anything else. I'm just trying to look up the general right to match. Right. How's, that, how's that wine, Jason? Oh, you bastard as wine. Oh, it's very good. <laughs> it's the option in terms and conditions. One year following the extra of the terms, Zufa shall have the option to match the material financial terms of any offer made to fighter for any MMA bout or fighting competition or exhibition. So boxing would be included because that's there our way to find it. There it is. Karate combat. Make your move. So they could match. The question would just be, would they? And the answer would probably be no. Probably be no. And, and Nate would command... With his name, regardless of what happens in the Chamaya fight, I'm pretty confident Nate would command, you know, five to ten million dollars for at least a one one fight. He he would fight Jake Paul. No Jake Paul's the key. That's the He's key. Not fighting fight. KSI or whoever. I seen Rocky. No, I think of this. So what if what if Diaz comes out, fights Jake Paul, 
beats Jake Paul in a very entertaining fight. Now, there's been rumors of McGregor-Mayweather. What if Mayweather says, I can't get McGregor, why don't I give a call to Diaz? His profile's never been bigger. You know, I could see that. I could see that. Nate's, Nate's a name that people remember from Conor McGregor. He, he's been elevated a little bit. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I would think that that would be something that, that is possible. I mean, fuck. I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't think Logan Paul would fight um, Floyd Mayweather Jr. So, I mean, I would, Nate Diaz would make more sense than Logan Paul. So, um, whether no. or not Floyd Mayweather, uh, would want to do it, especially against Nate Diaz. They would have to come to sort of, some sort of agreement on how it would work out. I mean, because, you know, Nate, I mean, Floyd's not going to. He's not going to make a stupid decision, but he might look at it and say, I have a good shot. I know all this, you know, he, he's still, pretty, even in his old age, he's probably still super talented. But the question is, what would McGregor's reaction be if oh. Diaz is getting the Mayweather fight and doesn't have to cut the UFC in on his chunk? Oh my God, he would go nuts. I mean, he would go on. I mean, I don't know what May, well, I don't know what McGregor's doing right now, but like, yeah, he would go. To, I mean, I know what McGregor's doing right now. I see his Instagram, but, uh, uh, I, you know, uh, he definitely would go ape shit over. He, over. he, uh, I think it depends on how that guy spends money. Well, that's how I think a normal person would think about it. If he's loaded, Still has made good investments. We know he made money off of his proper 12, good money. Then you should just be like, who gives a crap, right? Uh, he's not. I'm doing well. I, I Go get yours. But <laughs> I don't think that's how he might be thinking. And if he's burning through a ton of money, he's probably like, oh, hell no. <laughs> so, well, but all, also for, all... for McGregor, it's super important for McGregor to be the, the, be, the, the biggest, the, the highest paid MMA fighter doing better than everybody else. I just think it's part of his ego and also part of his brand. And the idea that someone walked out and did better than him. Especially you know, Nate Diaz. Yeah, especially his opponent, Nate Diaz. He'd be like, you know, I, I I don't know. Well, I, for one, do not want to have to make the financial decision of do I buy Diaz Mayweather. Because I, I would buy Diaz Paul. Uh, uh, I would buy that. Diaz Mayweather, I'd be like, oh, God. What do I want to do here? I hope I don't have to make that. Like John with Amazon. I hope I don't have to make that decision. No, I didn't. Well, I didn't buy a McGregor Mayweather. I just lucked <laughs> out. I came out of a theater. I went to go watch a movie that night and skip it. I came out of the theater, the back door, and there was the bar right there with it on. And the back door was open. Just walked right in and watched it right from the start. <laughs> really? Nice. Yeah, it was good. I got to see an old movie. I can't remember a movie. Like, you know, some old, I don't know, Fritz Lang movie, I think it was, or something. Came walking. Wow, what a what a great day. Didn't spend a dollar on this piece of crap fight. And then still <laughs> get to watch it. So kind of almost like when I skipped the Kimbo, Ken Shamrock fight. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sorry. I de- detoured the show. <laughs> no, the Kimbo Dada fight. Oh, that Kimbo, was the no, one. No, Kimbo yeah. Dada was on Spike. So yeah, I didn't watch that. Didn't watch that. I did. I actually know I did watch it like a year later because people people were telling me you got to watch it. Oh my god! Well, you guys know I would ref before COVID and stuff, uh, and or judge and ref a little bit. I I got certified and did it like one time, and then uh, and then my next star bothered me and COVID hit. But uh, but man, you had to watch that as someone who's interested in refing, <laughs> just to see what like Big John would do. To, I think he was the ref, right? How he would handle those guys. You had to watch that fight. There, sidetrack. <laughs> All right, do we have anything else in this section? 
Uh, UFC is very profitable. I think it's the last thing we haven't talked about. They're doing great, and that's it. I will tell you, guy. I will throw out there. I saw um, there was one of those again analyst reports that had an estimate. Uh, I think John established that we pretty much confirmed that their EBITDA is over five hundred million. Um, one of them had it at at seven hundred million full year twenty twenty three. The estimate EBITDA. What? <laughs> I was like, what? good lord. What uh, actually that's part of it gets me. You always see the on Twitter people are like, We don't know what they're making, we don't know how much their expenses are. And you go, We got a pretty good idea what their expenses are. We can look at a few things. They're EBITDA, we can look at their free cash flow. We, there's a lot of little things we can we can estimate what their interest payments are. And the interest payments too are not like it's not like they built a ton of stores and infrastructure. The interest payments are covering money they gave to Endeavor or the previous owners, so it's so we we know what they're they're pretty damn profitable. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Seven hundred nine million, twenty twenty three. That's it. That's the high one. I've seen lower. But what's the, the what's, wait? What's the total amount of revenue for that one? Huh? What's the revenue at that um, one? That's the whole. On that's all sports. I'm on right now, it doesn't show it. That, it's showing that, it's showing how they got their valuation, mm-hmm. and what they do is they value every part of the. Um, Endeavor companies own. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, oh, well, this isn't that big of a deal. This is own sports, not so UFC. But UFC is at least ninety percent of that, probably. That's revenue, but for EBITDA, it's even more, right? It's almost. It's well, yeah, it probably more. is. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah. So this is own sports, but still, the UFC is a huge, massive chunk of of EBITDA. But sorry. So this is just the page where they're valuing them. So they don't, it doesn't show revenue. I don't see it on here yet. So that's unfortunate that their things are so tight that they can't afford. Oh, them. I do see it. One billion four hundred sixty-eight million. So seven, a fifty percent EBITDA again, but this time with a more ridiculous revenue yeah. this year. I'm just saying. I was sharing this as one estimate. This is a yeah. high estimate, but I'm just sharing it. Yeah. It's a strong. It's still a small struggling company. <laughs> Which is why I wanted to buy the stock at nineteen dollars. But oh well. <laughs> You'd be like buying the stock at nineteen dollars. We need to hire more contender fighters. Get the <laughs> get the get the wage share even lower to raise that price. I want more more available for distribution. <laughs> why is Nate Diaz fighting Chimaya? He should just sit on just yeah. keep sending him forever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And I I was very tempted to buy it, but uh, I don't feel like that would be the right thing to do. You seem but, very haunted by this decision. You you talk about it a lot. You're very it's like you're, you're troubled by it. It's almost <laughs> as bad as the Jason's NFT. Oh, it's well, the NFT is doing. It's the well. only stock purchase that I would. talk. I'm not going to talk to you guys about other things that I'm interested in buying on an MMA show, right? It's the only one. Jesus Christ. Well, buy NFTs. What? Look at this. Look at this segue. Though. Look at this. Well, would you buy a, a one championship group one holding stock? Look at oh, that. Look, hell at, yeah. look, look at that. Oh, you would? <laughs> no. Uh, okay, because you know that that's a possibility. <laughs> would I wait until it starts trading enough, and you can possibly short it? But yeah, yeah. I guess this moved us into one and Amazon and the IPO. All right. So where are we going to go with this? Okay. 
One just ha- was it Friday or Saturday? I, Friday I, night. Friday, Friday night. night. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Wedding weekend, and I just I watched the Demetrius Johnson fight. It was awesome. Uh, my wife like made me watch Amber Kitchen and Liam uh, Neeson. 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 What's his name? Liam Neeson. Harrison. Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was in Taken. He, he loves kickboxing, huh? He was in Taken. Liam Neeson. He was, yeah, uh, I know. <laughs> and Taken Two. <laughs> yes, Electric Boogaloo it was a good movie. <laughs> we got news of it, I believe, back in July. The first show happened on Friday. First, let's get your thoughts on the show. And then uh, sort of what you think this Amazon partnership might do for them. Then we can move into IPO, I guess. Uh, John, you want to start us off? Well, I don't do anything with Amazon. So I didn't watch the show. Why did I start with you? But I did. (laughs) Someone gave me a pirated stream. Uh, I meant someone. I I checked that later on on an upload somewhere. Uh, But uh, the, the main event, I did watch Demetrius Johnson. And uh, I did watch that fight, which was amazing. The knockout was just, it was truly a joyous occasion for me. I thought that. And I did see, uh, what was that that crazy knockout by that? Was it, uh, uh, I, can't, I can't pronounce the guy's name, and I'm not even going to try. Uh, the, 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 the hook head kick knockout, I did see that. That was amazing. So it looked good. I mean. Uh, uh, the, the lighting TV looked good. The one complaint I heard, I don't listen to the broadcast audio, but the one complaint I heard uh, on Twitter was people saying it sounded like they were pumping in audio to the crowd. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was maybe it's a mic thing or, you know, I don't know. But, you know, the one fight, the one presentation I saw was, was pretty good. Yeah. And I would say, I'm going to throw it over to you in a second, Jason, but I would say we know that one struggles with attendance. And to put this on prime time, right? I don't know what time would it have been there. Super, super early in the morning, or or just yeah. I don't remember exactly, but they're they're running it in the morning. So I wonder what crowd they would get. Um, I was watching it, trying to see like, can I see the crowd? Can I see if people are there? Because I'm, you know, as someone who looks at their finances, I'm interested in uh, whether they actually get people want to show up to your product instead of all the other numbers they put out. But Jason, what what did, what did you think? So I only saw the uh, Demetrius Johnson, Adriana Mora's fight because I uh, was at the Mariner game. But as far as the Amazon presentation goes, I thought it was fine. Uh, What will be interesting for me is to see how it will be uh, advertised and promoted on Amazon.com as a piece of their content. Uh, with the NFL coming up, you know, maybe they get a lot more uh, value in its uh, promotion during NFL games on on Amazon Prime. We'll see about that. But I thought it was fun. I thought it was a good a good way to to kick off the sh- kick off their uh, showing on Amazon Prime with Demetrius Johnson. I mean, he's the he's the most known. Uh, UF, I mean, former UFC fighter. He's the most known U.S. fighter that people would want to tune in and see. And he did what he was supposed to do, which was put on a show. And that knee was unbelievable. And so he, I mean, obviously it would have been bad news if he were, were to lose. It'd be a knockout or boring decision. So it was good, good for the company. Um, you know, we'll have to get used to kind of the mixed uh, bag, mixed 
martial arts that they have. But um, you know, it 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 will be it, it should draw some sort of an audience, much more than uh, than being just on um, TNT at uh, odd times of the night. Quick question I have for you guys. For me, it seems that they got to get shows. If they're trying to promote this and build it up in an American audience, they got to start putting shows on in America. Otherwise, it's all the – because the general non-MMA crowd, the only people I saw were the hardcores on Twitter talking about it. But general people have no – had no clue what one is or, you know, anybody outside that bubble. It's not not making a dent. It's not any awareness whatsoever. You know, there's, there's not, there, I didn't see any real coverage in sports media outside, you know, the, the typical MMA media. I didn't see any cover in any sport, even sports business type journals. I didn't see any coverage in that. So it's not something that's getting a lot of attention. To me, it's like the key will be, I mean, yeah, I think you guys agree. Don't you think that they got to start putting on shows in America? Yeah. Get there was a push. I mean, I attend, I myself attended a, a press conference uh for a, a 1FC for a push to uh, like uh, expand in America. Now of course that was pre-covid so we had they, we had issues there. I will tell you that they did uh I believe it was the ESPN show the head kick the one hit kick by the one uh guy who kicked the guy and he just, the guy passed out. I mean just fell to the ground. I forgot what uh Pon Payak. Is that the guy? anyway? It, it was on a, one of the sports seminars, top ten, late ten, late night. But um, yes, I think that they definitely should put on shows in the U.S. That whether or not it's a visa issue to bring all of these uh, fighters to the U.S. is a would be one of those things. But they could do like the UFC fight nights do, like you know, Demetrius Johnson fight in Seattle or. Um, you know, do one in LA or do one in New York, major metropolitan metropolitan areas where uh, UFC and mixed martial arts are fans. They they may want to try out the show where the regional scene is. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely think that if they want an audience in America, the, the Amazon Prime is one way to do it. But again, they they do need to bring audience uh, live events here. And was was it the Thai guy? Was it Nong O? Was that the head kick? No, no, no. It was the uh, Pompayak Jim Jin Mai Gong. Okay, I think I think I saw that one. But yeah, I I think um, like the production looked good to me. Uh, I enjoyed the commentary mostly. Um, when it came to Amazon, I was expecting <laughs> that Amazon would know everything about me. And it would have it like in Prime Video right there at the top for me to click on. I had to like actively search for it. it was, so it was hard to find. There was one time. I went a few times to find it, right, before putting it in my watch list. But there was one time that it finally appeared there. So that was a little strange. I was expecting it to appear there. But I I, um, I, I, I guess have a disagree a little bit. I agree that running shows in the U.S. would help. But but. To me, you know, we always talk about like core and casual. It's almost like there's a third segment now, which is like the people who I, I'm thinking of when, like, when DJ went over there. I would never just watch most one shows. I would look at clips. Um, I wouldn't watch the whole thing. But when DJ went over there, I always wanted to watch him. 
right? And there were just times, the Turner deal, I just ended up not watching some of his fights. It was hard. I didn't know how to find them. I didn't want to deal with it. If it was anything with like a one app, I, <laughs> I didn't want to go near it. That was just me. Um, so the fact that it's on Amazon now, as long as I can find it, it's boom, it's there. I don't have to see it live necessarily. Like I was a wedding. Um, but, uh, but I could, I can catch it later. Nice and easy. I was like, Oh my God, I finally get to see DJ. It looks like he's fighting bantamweights again, but I finally get to see DJ. It looks like he might lose this in the second round. If, if this keeps going like that. And then that knockout, you're right. was insane. Um, but like, as long as they find a way, I don't know, I guess they would be the Amazon, find a way to try to connect promoting these events with people that they believe like MMA, I think that it will help them. Amazon has a huge reach. I mean, but, everybody in the world has Amazon Prime except for one person right there on my screen, right yeah, down there. Yeah, yeah, people think I'm insane. I'm not insane. I'm the only sane man here. The only sane. But, but you, you brought up a thing that they, they could one could do to increase the audience. If people fall for Demetrius Johnson, the next step would be sign well I mean, UFC fighters are now starting to test the market. UFC's not doing what they, I mean, Diaz is an exception, but for generally they're not holding fighters hostage like they used to under the Petitas. They're letting guys fight out their contract and there is that sunset provision. The, the step for one would be try to get some other big name, well known top fighters to come to one and then the fans might follow them. People that have a fan base or, or, or that recognize them as a very good fighter. If you, even if he's not maybe the most popular, but if a, if you could get one of the top UFC fighters, potentially even a champion, let's say, and they could go to somewhere and get their ass kicked in one, that would be great for you because you could potentially build someone else up. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's expensive. That's a lot more expensive than, you know. Which is exactly yeah. what I was about to say. I was about to say that kind of leads into possible financing, right? We know that one just got, what did they just get? They just got, um, it was PFL. It just did 30 million a few months ago. One did 150, what, at the end of last year. Yeah. Um, begin, end of last year, beginning of this year. I can't remember. Great exactly. timing for them, by the way, because I'm sure if you take their situation and move it today, it will be much harder for them to get money. Uh, and their terms will probably be worse. So that was a great timing for them. But, um, you know, the funding environment isn't nearly as good these days, right? The valuation environment isn't nearly as good these days. It means if you want to raise money, everyone who owns the company gets diluted a lot more or your terms are worse, things of that sort. So Yeah, and um, then on top of that, it's hard to raise money when you're in your fifth round and it they're still waiting for it to, it's like, okay, what's the what's the big upside now? Which is why maybe they're moving into IPO. So maybe does that transition us to that? Right, which is they were gonna do a SPAC, uh, and and, and a SPAC was shoot, what is that? Uh, special purpose acquisition. I forget the uh, acquisition company. I think it is. Um, and so basically, what our listeners should know is that's a way of going public where you have to do a lot uh, fewer fewer disclosures, not nearly as rigorous in your disclosures. Um, I wouldn't touch any SPACs to save my life, uh, personally. And the SPAC market has kind of imploded, but, uh, and that, which is probably why 
the one the group one people are looking at a potential IPO. That's a much more rigorous process. It sounds like they have good names attached to them. Was Goldman one of them, I think, um, potentially. But you've actually got to sell this to investment banks to underwrite you and then to the public uh, or, or the people who invest in your IPO, the, the entities that will invest in your IPO and eventually the public. Um, and so that looks like the path that they're doing. And there's this move to the Cayman along the way. So I want to ask you about your thoughts on the IPO, but I'm not sure if I should do the Caymans first. Let's see. Uh, ah, let's do the IPO. So, Jason, we think that they're likely to go public. They were going to do a SPAC. Now they might do an IPO. How do you think this process is going to play out for them? And uh, we know that their financials, we think their financials still are off. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to go well. Go well. <laughs> and and one of the things is, is because of the financials. I, I you know you if you become a publicly traded company, you have to disclose a lot of things. And just as by analogy, where um, you look at the scandal with Vince McMahon at the WWE, and they you uncover a lot of things. The Wall Street Journal uncovered McMahon's affairs and his hush money payments. Uh, with that being said, and using that as a kind of an analogy, you know, a lot of people will scrutinize this IPO based on where they're getting their money and how, how they're getting it. What do the loans look like? I mean, uh, we've gone over the, the, uh, one finances that John has, uh, and you have two Paul in depth. So, um, as far as the IPO goes, I'm not sure what exactly uh, they will be uh, selling to potential investors. So yeah, I don't know how successful it will be. Yeah, immensely successful. It's going to be Sorry, yeah. <laughs> you know, billion and billion viewers. No, uh, I would say it's, it's interesting that they first, they redomiciled into the Caymans from, cause they're, they're big part is they've been selling themselves. They're a Singapore company. That's been a big part of their identity. You know, that the, we're a Singapore company and now we're no longer a Singapore company. We're moving to the Caymans where we do not have to file annual ACRA reports, which is to their benefit. I am curious though, because they're due. They're supposed to have filed one. They've got a delay on that. Do they still have to? Is it still owed? Is that still going to be published? We will find out, I guess. So that's one thing I find interesting is that they're, it's, it is strange for a company that's kind of wrapped themselves the idea of being a Singapore company. They're no longer a Singapore company. Uh, it's also interesting what, what their plan is to go forward because I can't imagine when you file, when you get those original filings with the SEC, uh, you know, 10K and stuff to look over for the potential, uh, uh for investors. The I can't, what's that? The S1. The S1, sorry, the S1. Sorry, I just say 10K, sorry, S1. When you get that, you're, I can't imagine based on their current finances, anybody rushing to invest in this. I, I, that, so the, the, what I find interesting, a couple of weeks ago, they also applied for and registered as a legal entity, uh, LEI code. They got a legal identifier, uh, uh, no, a legal entity identifier. That's it. Uh, they got it through Bloomberg. And what that does is it lets you, you use that for transactions. You're, you're like a hedge fund or a trader. You can try financial tra- transactions, you're trading stocks, bonds, currency, but that doesn't seem like the business of group one holdings at all. 
So I'm curious why they would do that. And I did hear a rumor, and I don't know if it's true or not, that they're thinking not of filing of the a Dow Jones IPO on the Dow Jones, but said Nasdaq, which has lower standards. And so is the LEI is that supposedly set them up as some sort of tech company instead or something else, and that way Nasdaq makes more sense. It's just it's all a little confusing. So I'm curious where they go ahead from here, forward from here. Yeah, this whole thing is very confusing. And um, like, just to make sure people know, before you go public and the people like us could potentially buy their shares, you 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 sell your IPO shares to institutional investors. Those people are, you know, again, by no means perfect, but they're sophisticated investors. Um, remember when WeWork was going to go public, they filed their S1. And all of a sudden, the whole IPO sort of uh, imploded for them once people saw their underlying financials. The difference here is that, while I don't think a lot of places are publicizing them, John has led the charge of putting these financials out. I did one thing. Like, we know that their financials are god-awful. Um, that That's out there. So, But yet, they also have good names attached to them. I, I keep going back to, I think Goldman is one of their potential underwriters, I think. Goldman Sachs. Yeah, but, they said, but you got to define god-awful. That's yeah, that's a strong statement, god-awful. I will define it. My CFO <laughs> wife looked at them without knowing the company and said, those are the worst financials I've ever seen. Oh boy. That sounds god awful. That sounds pretty, <laughs> that sounds pretty bad. I take that back. Yeah. But I didn't it, tell they were on the, uh, they were in Excel. I put them in Excel. I, I didn't tell her what company it was. I just said, what do you think of these? <laughs> now, to be fair to one, you, if you're a growth company, you're going to be losing money. But the point is you, you get to the point where you want to get to the point where you win or you disrupt or you do something, right? So they have to have, but some spin behind that. But when you go, to go public, you have to convince the fidelities of the world and places like that first, and then eventually the people like you and I, once they see everything. Uh, so the whole thing's weird. And like you said, why go to the Cayman where you, where you might not have to disclose this LEI thing? It, it, it's Something is just it's not adding up. And the one thing that I also wonder if how much, because before the Singapore press was actually pretty kind to one about their finances until recently. And now people like, uh, oh, uh, uh, Cristiano from uh, Deal Street Asia and people like her have written reports and they, they've done a lot. They, they, they track them a lot. So I wonder if that's part of it getting away less scrutiny, but. It's not like, you know, it's not like the electronic karate magazine's the only one that's posted their finances. You have everybody's now, it's out there. So, but yet they're still able to raise 500 million. But the, okay, this is the, the next question. How, in what conceivable way do they reach their, their valuation of 1.6 billion? It's this Amazon deal for everything I understand is not paying them a lot of money. So one point, that's wait, Singapore dollars, 1.2, 1.3 billion US dollars. How do they get to that valuation? Jason, we're going to throw it over to you. I'm just going to go really quick and say it's definitely lower than that now, right? That was the end of last year. As of right now, it would, it would not be that. It would be lower. It's a worse environment. But what do you think, Jason? Well, I, I have not. I, I was just listening to you guys. I, I have no no real bearing on this. I haven't followed the financials in, in quite a while. So, <laughs> Well, to me, just... Valuation again, it, it's what people were willing to pay in your most recent round. It doesn't mean it's right. 
right? It, it's just what you convince a group of people to do. Um, now, it might be right. It might look like a great deal five years down the line, right? If they can grow into what they want to grow into or in John's LEI world, if they start trading funky stuff or <laughs> who knows. But um, <laughs> I I don't know. But that that's a question that you have to ask yourself in every IPO, right? There's all these previous valuations. Now we want to go public. This is our target valuation, what we want these uh, IPO investors to pay. And you go on your roadshow and you try to convince them, right? So that's what the uh, Chachri would be doing. <laughs> if he goes for this IPO, and, and they're going to have the same questions as us. And they're going to see everything. And he better have a damn good story. I don't know what the hell it's going to be. Well, so my point though was they, the institutional investors, major investors gave them that last round. If I, if I remember yes. correctly, a hundred, yeah. they're invest, no one's investing like, well, you know, that 1.3 billion is really 900 million or 500, you know, they're, they're investing on the idea that they're going to get a return on their investment. So that return means that valuation better be sort of right or go up, even be, they want it above that. That, that's, it's like, well, how are you going to get close? people are going to lose all these investors are going to lose their shirt. if They come nowhere close to the, because over half the money put into it was after under an evaluation of over a billion dollars, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah. and I will throw out there. It's just that at this wedding, we were hanging out and one of the guys was a VC person and we were, we were talking to him about this. Like, you know, what return do you look to get when you're at, uh, a series A investor versus a series D, a series E investor, stuff like that, right? And what are they on? They're on, um, I have it right here. Oh, I shoot. think, I think F. Yeah. The one, when I go to Crunchbase, the one isn't, isn't that good. It only shows the 150. It doesn't show all yeah. the rounds, but yeah, if they're on E or F, I mean, if it was 1.2 billion, they'd be, they minimum want like a three X return on that. That's so if, if they agree to invest, that's what they are believing at that time. They will get some, a few years out. <laughs> okay, like but now I got to ask, how, how do you turn group one holdings into a $3.6 billion valuation <laughs> company? We've seen they're, they're, I, I, that's the question I have with UFC. It's like, well, they're, they're going to make a vast amount of profit and they, they're, they got tons of revenue coming in. You'd have to start selling massive amounts of of the 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 rights to their product, their broadcast rights, would start after going for massive amounts. And I haven't seen any hint of that anywhere. I don't know. Do you have any idea? Chachi's probably got some stress on him. I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> unless he unless he sold a bunch of shares in these offerings, and he's already in in the black, well in the black, and. If he cares about all the investors, he'd have stress on them. If he doesn't, then not as much stress. All right. Where are you at in all this? <laughs> no, I, I'm no, nowhere to be found. I'm, like I said, I was, I'm sitting on the sidelines on this. All right. We're coming to you for the UFC antitrust update. <laughs> we're done with it. I think, I think we're in agreement, John. I think we're all in agreement, even though Jason's not getting into the specifics. Buy shares when it goes public. Buy shares. Actually, my, I am curious when it's going to go public because they got to they got to start producing better uh, financials before they go public, and that's a, that seems like a last we saw that seems like a long way off. Yeah, and the IPO market is pretty much dried up for everyone, right? So even great companies aren't going public now. 
the question is when it's going to start back up again, right? Uh, some people say maybe late this year, but I, I think we're probably in for at least a kind of probably a mild recession. Uh, but so maybe, maybe mid late next year, things will be better stock market wise uh, for IPOs. Uh, but so who knows? Um, so update Jason on the antitrust lawsuit on this, this, this massive story you wrote. It's still before he does that. I just want to throw out there. Uh, uh, there was an email in my inbox today from the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> legal submission newsletter 32. If you haven't subscribed to it, go to MMA payout and subscribe to it. Uh, yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's 31 other ones you could see as well. <laughs> Wait a minute. You, get, you, get, you, you just you just came in on thirty two for God's sake! You get bonus content. I you get you bonus content on thirty two. YouTube, in my be on the YouTube. Uh, the legal submission is also on YouTube. Uh, you can see more of that stuff. It's just me reading what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> is there all sorts of cool like? Media and graphics behind you doing crazy oh, things. Oh, yeah. It took like, a, yeah. I use the NFTs on that. Wait, are you saying, Paul, you've never watched the legal submission broadcast on YouTube? No, I read it in my inbox. But it's now a, that it's, I know I will. It's a little pot. And I share that on Twitter every yes. time. And you're yes. not, you're not, oh my God. The legal is... submission on YouTube, for God's sakes. I mean, like there are real people. I picked up three subscribers just, just during this broadcast. Well, you know what? I'm going to start doing that because I know that that that's a way for you to start making money instead of just through email. So, no, yes, it's uh, yeah, you know, James Lynch follows me, a real a real MMA journalist. I actually met. Um, oh, can I take a little segue? I went. I, I covered Bellator uh, 286 when I came to uh, to come Washington. I met some real real MMA journalists. I met uh, I met James Lynch. Uh, you know, from, you know, James Lynch's various projects, he so, is a real worker. Like he didn't, he didn't actually even watch anything live. He was doing all the interviews backstage, all that other good stuff. Um, I met, uh, the great Steve Morocco almost cried when I saw him. <laughs> so MMA a bunch, of, bunch of scumbags. MMA a bunch of scumbags. That oh, Dana guy, White has Dana White has told me those are all scumbags. Steve Morocco, Steve is great. Love of Christ, the guy, the guy. First of all, he called me by my first name, which I was not comfortable with. Second of all, he he uh, he was uh, telling me stories I shouldn't probably have known about. But uh, good guy, uh, he we we actually uh, no, he didn't actually go to the back. You know, it's funny when you go to these shows. It is first, first of all, um, thank you for the Bellator PR. I will not say a bad word about you. I'm bought and paid for now. All you had to do was give me a press pass. Now I'm <laughs> bought and paid for for life. Anyway, so, you know, uh, to, uh, we'll, we'll get to the antitrust thing in a sec, but one of the funniest things is it was at a, um, it was at a casino, uh, in, uh, in Tacoma, Washington in, in, in July, but, um, you know how you talk about, you know, the staging and who who can attend and who not to attend. So I watched it on Showtime, and you can't tell the amount of people that are there. 
at the actual fights. It's totally blacked out, similar to Amazon uh, Amazon Prime, uh, the Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime on one. Uh, and so I thought it was very interesting how, how they had the whole, uh, whole uh, setup. But to get to my point, they have the interviews after the fights. So they interview the fighters after the fights. Uh, and so you have for this particular venue, you have to walk, <laughs> you had to go outside, walk through the kitchen where they're kitchen, they're cooking, uh, and back a back room. And then they have another back, uh, back through the break quarters of the people that are working in the kitchen and back to the back room. So it, w- it was very interesting. Another interesting thing, uh, when you interview these guys is after the fights, they don't give them a bag, their bags or anything. They give them a, a clear plastic bag to put all of their gear and stuff in. So you got these guys who just fought that they carry their gear in their bag in the bag to go get interviewed. Um, so so that's that was an interesting thing. Other interesting thing, maybe I shouldn't talk about it, but uh, it, Bellator is sponsored by Monster Energy. Drink, and they had the Monster Energy drinks on there. You know, if you watch post post fight press conference, um, uh, they have them on each um, yeah, on each side of the fighter when they get interviewed. Dalton Rosa, who was who won, uh, uh, he's a uh, he trains with a lot of other famous people i don't know um anyway he actually took one of the uh one of the uh monster energy drinks and wanted to, was about to open it and the bellator pr guy said no 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 uh, those aren't real i'll get you a real one and so he actually actually got had to go in the back to get a real monster energy drink. so that i thought that would be interesting for for viewers to know a little bit aside as to the backgrounds of covering a belly tour event we wait, didn't really quick question so that means it was full and not air he thought there was something in it but it was like uh, i think it was full but they couldn't open it because maybe uh they didn't have the actual monster can for them because uh-huh. when the bellator pr guy came back he didn't give him the similar can that was on the uh, on on the thing, but um, <laughs> the, we I did see I did see Ali Ali was in the uh, Ali was in the casino. Uh, he was hesitant to say to to make eye contact with me. I don't know why. Um, he did have a security guard with him, and then I also saw um, God. I can't even remember his name. Oh well, I I I I can't remember the other manager, but um, I did see Khabib. Khabib was there with uh, he cornered Usman Nurmagomedov, which is his cousin, and two other uh, other fighters. Javier Mendez was there too. So it was a it was a fun night to be there. Um, the uh, who else was there? There were other people there, but anyway, uh, I thought I, I thought it was worth talking about it a little bit just to, to tell you the ins and outs of covering an uh, event uh, since we're alleged MMA media. But now, it, as far as I, I thought, this a lot of this stuff with the UFC antitrust lawsuit, as John talked about, happened a long time ago. I've just been busy this summer, so I haven't been able to catch up. But as we know, what we're waiting for is the class action lawsuit opinion by Judge Bulware to certify the bout class of individuals agreed by the UFC, allegedly agreed by the UFC, as well as deny the, the intellectual property class of fighters who claim that the UFC used anti-competitive measures to, uh, to deny their IP rights. So 
What we're waiting for is an appeal from uh, the Ninth Circuit. What we were waiting for was an appeal from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on a tuna case. Olean Wholesale Fooders Food Sale, uh, Olean Wholesale Foods versus uh, a bunch of tuna companies. So we don't need to know about the you know, crux of it, but basically the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in en banc, uh, the whole, the whole Ninth Circuit, uh, ruled in favor of certifying the class of individuals, uh, for, uh, the plaintiffs. Now, what is important in this, as it applies to the UFC ish case is how the court came about identifying the particular um, <clears throat> the particular class of plaintiffs. The argument being that the expert report in that class, we call it the tuna case. The, the expert report in the tuna case uh, uh, did not conclude that all people in the certified class were injured. So the commonality of injury was not, uh, did not uh, span over the group of all in individuals. So basically, as it relates to the UFC fighter case, um, uh, they're saying that, oh, all these plaintiffs under this banner of UFC people who, who fought between X to X, they're aggrieved. Even, they don't actually need to show they've been harmed by the ad, alleged anti-competitive measures uh, the UFC uh, did, but they can be in the they can be a plaintiff. So that that relates to two particular issues, but we'll get to that in a second. The inquiry uh, relates to the the uh, the case uh, the tuna case uh, opinion basically states that. You only need to be capable of being injured. Uh, not you don't actually have to show it. Uh, being show it being injured. So that's the that's the quandary. One of the tuna tuna companies, uh, Starkist. I love Starkist. Starkist has uh, appealed to the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court. That's the highest court of the land, as we all know. Uh, 10,000 cases come, come through there asking to be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court of Appeals. About 85 get heard. They start there. So the reason why I brought this up and wrote this whole long article is because they start their term in the first week of October. We should know within the next month whether or not they take the case. Now, why would they take the case? You know, the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't determine the, uh, the case. They don't determine the substantive merits about if whether or not the UFC did all these anti-competitive things or not. They purely uh, uh, determine issues of law and clarifying issues of law. So why would this case be so important that the U.S. Supreme Court want to rule on it? Well, it deals with the, the issue of class action lawsuits and how they are certified or how and how they should be addressed by a particular court, what the court should do. So that is the reason why uh, the U.S. Supreme Court can and look at all the all of the law and determine this is how you should apply this particular rule. Essentially, that's what it is. I mean, there's nuances, but we need don't need to go on on into that. Um, so that's one thing. 
you know, how, how do you determine the, the, the uh, rule 23 regarding class action certification? Do you need to show whether or not somebody's hurt? Uh, or do you need to just show whether or not they're capable of being hurt? So there's one. The other thing that's ancillary to this issue, but also very important, is the, the issue of standing. Because standing basically is what you need to be in court. So you need to have uh, a, a, a alleged gripe against the defendant, and you need to show injury. The reason why this is important is if, you, if you're one of these plaintiffs that cannot show injury, defendants would argue that there's no standing, right? You can't be, you, you can't just free ride into this, into this lawsuit if you have no, if you have no uh, cognizable injury. And that's why defendants, that's why the UFC would argue that the tuna case uh, should be overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. So that, that in a nutshell is my lengthy spiel about it now uh, applying it to the us uh, to the ufc case again as we've talked about uh, all, uh, all the time is that uh wage share versus wage level that's the issue that's the big issue regarding how we came up with damages that's going to be one of the major issues that will be determining whether or not about class uh will will go forward um and as well as the issue of whether or not it's cognizable for expert opinion to utilize what Hal Singer did, as among as other things, among other things. So that is what the UFC will argue is that uh, the, they shouldn't apply the uh, certification in the way that the Tuna case has ruled because uh, um, it would, one, uh, uh, come out with with a, a class that does not have uh, a claim against the defendant, as well as if they don't, then they don't have standing. So that is what's going on in a UFC lawsuit. The news that you should uh, 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 know about are twofold. One, Judge Bulwer could have ruled on this before this all happened. He could have done it, but he didn't. I don't know why. I'm not that good of a lawyer to know why, what goes on in the mind of a uh, federal court judge. I do know some people that are federal court judges, but they probably have disowned me and unfollowed me on LinkedIn. Two, uh, it's already uh, about that time for the U.S. Supreme Court to determine whether or not to take the tuna case. Uh, And so my belief is that they'll take tuna case and uh, oh, I'm sorry, my belief is that Judge Bulwer is waiting on whether the U.S. Supreme Court will take the Tuna case uh, in the next session starting this, this October. Will it take the, if it takes the Tuna case, will we have to wait until next year for what the fuck is going on with this UFC lawsuit? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know i i think for everybody uh, um except for the ufc because if this if the ufc could drag this on into uh daniel cormier's uh, span as the ufc commissioner that would be fine but um you know 
I think that the, the hopefully for all of us, Supreme Court's going to deny this cert, and then we'll see something this fall from Judge Bulwer. That's all I have to say. Uh, I made up, I compensated for me not talking during the one session, the one uh, part of the uh, <laughs> the uh, uh, this show one. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. All right, and and subscribe to his. Uh... Newsletter and YouTube channel. Legit, but, uh, sub- <laughs> legit submission, Substack. For God, I have a couple of thoughts to share. But John, do you want to add anything? Oh uh, no, that, uh, it's good. Steve Morocco is a pretty good reporter. That's uh, that was good. I actually, I like his work. Uh, oh, he's wait, a legend you, uh, in his own mind. I, yeah, I zoned out during the rest of Jason's thing, so I can't. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That was good. That's, see, I like that because now when people ask me what's going on with the case, just he has a whole article on it. There you go, people. <laughs> Stop asking. Or just listen to that that uh, two minute spiel. Yeah, 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 exactly. I just looked up on Pacer. There's nothing been filed. So no. Uh, oh, yeah. So the other thing is, back in July, the the plaintiffs did file a hey, what's what's going on? They 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 requested a motion, uh, a status conference from the court. The court doesn't have to do a status conference. The UFC doesn't care about a status conference. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's up to Judge Bullard whether he will entertain that request. Props to the plaintiffs and Rob Maisie for doing that, basically saying, come on, Judge, hurry up. But, yeah, I think um, <laughs> I I suspect, I am not a lawyer, but I, I have worked on antitrust cases in the past on the expert witness team. and. Uh, I don't know. I suspect, I, I think that the Supreme Court might take this and we're waiting till next year sometime. Uh, it seems like this dispute over what you, the, to, to me, my take on it is about this dual battle of the dueling experts, right? They talk about it in the, in the lens of, um, percentage of uninjured parties. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, uh, and I'll tell people how it relates between the two cases. In the in the um, tuna case, so by the way, you might have been paying more for tuna if you're a tuna person uh, because of price fixing. But in the tuna case, one expert witness found that uninjured parties was like, I don't remember the number, but less than 10%. Yeah. And then a different expert witness tweaked one thing, changed one thing, and found that uninjured parties were closer to 30%. And so that's a lot of uninjured parties. And the question is with this sort of, uh, uh, does it, does it meet class certification standards? What is it? Commonality or I don't remember the word. Commonality. Well, there's, there's yeah, well, but, commonality of the injuries is, is the big. Yeah. But there's the, it's, one, it's the one at issue here. Commonality. Yeah. I'm forgetting while we talk live. Um, but so that was a question that, that, that maybe the whole class shouldn't be certified if 30% of them are uninjured, right? In the UFC case, there's like, there's 1,200 fighters involved, and there's, I don't remember the exact number, but 10 to 20 uninjured fighters by Hal Singer's model. But what the real issue is, is that Hal Singer does what he does with wage share, and then the UFC's expert witness tweaks again. One thing changes wage share to wage level, and all of a sudden, everybody becomes uninjured. <laughs> so, like, all 1,200 are uninjured. So the question is, do you have to resolve that dueling battle of the experts now at the class certification stage? Or is that a, like a merits-based question for the jury? And what the 
Court of Appeals found is you just have to show that what basically the plaintiffs did, how Singer did with wage share is capable mm-hmm. of showing that there's class-wide injury. And the key quote here is if found persuasive by a jury, if they find wage share persuasive, is that model capable? Um, and versus the UFC side and whatever in the tuna side saying, you need to resolve this now, not if found persuasive by a jury, but we've got this dueling battle of the experts where if one expert is right, there is no case where there's a huge amount of uninjured fighters and you need to resolve it now. So I was always like, well, why wouldn't, why wouldn't Judge Boware just sort of, why does he need to wait for this? Uh, but you know, it, it looks like with this appeal to the Supreme Court and the fact that in the UFC case, it's literally all or nothing. Like nobody's injured or almost everybody's injured. And the question is, do I decide this now or wait? And the funny thing is he could decide a summary judgment. It might never get to a jury. Right. Uh, but that's what we're, what we're dealing with. Right. It is, is this capable of if found persuasive by a jury or do I just answer the question now on my own? And I don't know what his answer would be. The thing I don't get is if his answer would be, yeah, this is persuasive anyway, then why did he just go? So what I keep thinking is, is he waiting because the only, if you thought no matter what, it's persuasive, then just write your order and go. So there's got to be, there's some middle ground here that he's in. That's, well, that's what I keep coming back to. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what, why he's waiting so long. All, all I know is that the, I believe I I actually think the Supreme Court will up will take a look at it because they they've appointed a ton of Federalist members of the Supreme Court. They seem to be wanting to overturn a lot of precedent that we've been exactly. sticking with. And and the de minimis, I mean the 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 en blanche, uh, Ninth Circuit they ruled the in minimis uh, in minimis is that what it was called de, like de minimis de minimis de minimis. Sorry, I'm dying. I know what I'm talking. About. I don't I'm just know. going off memory here, but do it. They that 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 standard is not you know was. That that was a new one that they're applying that you can't have a you know a more than a few people uh, uninjured because if you do it, it it's it's not class wide but that's not been the standard they've had for decades now so but so I fully expect the Supreme Court to step in because this is we have this is going to be a new Lochner court when they're when in a few years we're going to look back and go oh my God they've just hammered anything that. That anything on corporate power. So that's my expectation. But who knows? They might be so scared off because of the, uh, uh, the, the recent, uh, uh, the reaction to the, uh, their decision in the, um, uh, I can't remember the case right now, but the, the Roe versus Wade case. What is that? See, uh, I don't know what, yeah, I know what you're the KO oh, camera, but anyways, Roe versus Wade, you know, they may be stepping back on some of their, trying not to be so controversial. But I wouldn't oh, be shocked. Yes, and so to quote the dissent of the uh, the the judge that was a federal society member, pro business guy. Um, he he likened it to the NFL declining to review a critical and close call fumble during the war during the waning minutes of the game, unless and until the game reaches overtime. So that's kind of what he puts it on. He also puts it on the fact that the old adage for, for everybody is that they don't want a tidal wave of litigation to come in because uh, it would cause businesses to be pressured to settle or extract settlements from, from plaintiff's attorneys. So, I mean, those are, those are the re- really, those are the uh, 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 argu- big arguments. I think the, the a- analogy is fair 
uh, for people that are, you know, that have, have uh, that are defendants in, in class action lawsuits. Uh, but again, that that would, it, you know, that entails a lot of the issues regarding battle, battling of the experts and whether or not the admissibility, uh, which is another thing, is that the experts report have to be admissible under the Daubert rule. Daubert is just basically a case which decided the rule that you have to have uh, uh, reliable and relevant uh, based on the scientific and academic community of a particular uh, uh, particular expert uh, report and uh, opinion. All right, so let's just clear one thing up. Um, is the 30 days, uh, Jason, from when it's filed with the Supreme Court or from when their session starts in the beginning of October? So it's basically the Supreme Court tells you. All so right. you could bring the petition uh, a writ of certiorari is what it's called, and the Supreme Court will pick it. Uh, they will they will let you they will let the the parties know that they they decide. They, oh, they so decide. what's the thirty days then? What thirty day for what? I don't know. You guys were saying thirty say days 30. to tell us whether they're taking it. Well, the Supreme Court starts their new term in October. Right. First week of October. So, and we're here at the end of September. So that's why. Yeah. Saying. So when you submit for um. Uh, oh man, now I can't remember the term. I'm not, a, as you can see, I'm not the lawyer guy. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Rit, rit, Someone knows more than but I But when you that. submit for that, they generally, they, 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 they have to put up their, they have to pick what cases they're going to look at during their schedule. And that's the date that they do, they get that done by. So that's when we should know by what's going to be on their, by that, October that 1st. Uh, no, I don't know the exact date. About a month from now. About a yeah, month, I know, mean, so. when whenever the, the whenever the when the session begins, they'll let you know beforehand that the case, that they're taking your case. Okay, okay. So I was I, sure I don't, the session starts and then they have a month or whatever. And then no, 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 no. I, I, I don't. I don't think that uh, they, there's a date for the Supreme Court to tell you uh, when you petition. It's be, uh, probably because they're they're going to wait to see how many cases come through and that what they need to take. Like again, there's like thousands and thousands of cases. They they are petitioned to the Supreme Court and they'll only take a a, a very a small sliver of those. All right, so we so we should know by October first is what basically. Uh, I would hope so. I mean, uh, who knows with the Supreme Court nowadays? But yeah, uh, I, the, the, I I believe they'll know before the uh, they'll know before the the session starts whether or not. I mean, obviously, if you're a party that that gets notice uh, that the Supreme Court's going to hear your case, you're going to have to start uh, prepping. <laughs> so yeah, they, they'll know before before uh, October. All right, guys. Is there anything else you want to throw in there? I don't know how long this ended up going, but probably a long one. <laughs> no, it was like an hour. <laughs> John, you're on mute. I just, it just, it's, it's the certiorari, 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 certiorari. That's what we're. That's it. Yes, we should have <laughs> the month. That's okay. I, I, it all, all. It took me 15 minutes to rack my brain to get that out of it so i should be a lawyer i could charge <laughs> so basically this case has taken forever class certification has taken forever the guy could have decided it before this tuna stuff even hit uh 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 the court of appeals but he didn't and now the court of appeals did his thing and now he's waiting 
And so he could move into next year before this even gets a chance to go Bowler's order to the Court of Appeals. And and then we go through that yearly thing. So great. Yes. Yeah, and right. you can partially thank Tuna for it, and you can partially thank who I think is the slow judge for it. But maybe he's had stuff going on in his life and his work. I don't I don't want to blame the guy too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it'll be amazing though if the Supreme Court doesn't take the case and then we're like, you know what, the last two years didn't even, didn't even have to happen. <laughs> I say that to myself all the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and there is the one final thing of whether what he does with this uh, new uh, one, the Cajun Johnson one. The the where where does that yeah. go? And that is a motion dismiss stage. But we'll get into that later. All right. <laughs> so. Are we good, everyone? Thank you for hanging with us. If you did, uh, on behalf of John Nash and Jason Cruz, I'm Paul Gift, reminding you to keep doing business as usual. Catch you later. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.